0: Dementia in Practice is recorded and produced in multiple locations. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which we meet. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal peoples, their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of Australia.
1: It just takes a GP,
2: who's got time and who cares. Mm. You had had a long relationship Mm. with your GP and so they were able to pick up that this just wasn't normal for you. That's right. And that
1: in itself was a relief to get some sort of preliminary diagnosis anyway.
0: Hi, I'm Hilton Coppy. This is a podcast made by GPs for GPs and for other health professionals who want to learn more about dementia diagnosis, treatment, prevention, and most importantly, patient care. In a moment, we're going to hear from a person who's living with dementia to find out more about her day-to-day life and the most valuable measures she's been taking, along with her family, to prepare for the road ahead. Each episode, I'll be joined by my colleagues from Dementia Training Australia, Dr. Marita Long and Dr. Steph Daly. So Marita, can I ask you to tell us a little bit about this episode and what we're going to be talking about today?
3: Yeah, sure. So today we're going to be talking about what it's like to live with dementia and to go through that process of being given a diagnosis. And we're extremely fortunate to have a guest on today who's generously agreed to share her story with us and to our listeners about what happened to her.
0: So Steph, you've been talking to a person in your community who lives with dementia, with Lewy body dementia in fact. Many people are familiar with Alzheimer's, but before we meet Anne, can you explain to us a little bit more about Lewy body dementia?
2: Yeah, so Anne has a diagnosis of Lewy body dementia. And that differs from Alzheimer's disease dementia because you often experience hallucinations and also REM sleep disorders. So people will have very active sleep and often nightmares as well. And Anne is able to talk about those experiences that she has. But in the same way as other dementias, she also experiences cognitive decline. So I think you'll find the interview with her really insightful as to the hurdles that someone living with dementia may experience.
0: That's great, Steph. Let's have a listen to the interview with Anne now.
1: I noticed that at work I was working in an administrative role with nursing and carers and things, and I just couldn't do the things at work that I was able to do before the administrative things were really difficult I was getting muddled and having to keep lots of time sheets and I remember being in a meeting and I we were discussing a paper and I said I need a copy of this I've never seen it before and was given a copy and of course it had my notes all over it because I'd been asked to comment on it and I thought oh gosh something's going on I started to forget the names of people at work and I I became, you know, a bit stressed and a bit anxious and started to get a bit depressed and thought, well, I'm not performing as well as I was before. And at home I was having issues. I remember it was one of the children's 21sts and I just didn't have, have no idea how to plan what tweet, how to get things on, on the table, the coordinating of all those things which I used to love doing and I, I loved cooking and things. Uh, all things that... Individually, are probably okay, but put them together, and and that level of anxiety seemed to raise. I had to rely on my husband a lot more for just helping for daily, every every day things like how to work out how many ounces in a gram, and uh, just the simple things. And often I'd leave out things when I was cooking in my recipes, which you know I had very forgiving family, which was very nice, but <laughs> the food wasn't so crash hot. <laughs>
2: And did this happen over a period of time? Was there, you know, was it over months or over a year? It, it was really, I mean, I'd been working with people with dementia and I wasn't
1: afraid of a dementia um, diagnosis. I'd worked with the old Alzheimer's Australia, which is Dementia Australia now. And I had a good understanding of things. And I I, and I and looked after my mother-in-law who had lower body dementia, but I didn't twig automatically to something like that. But it didn't take long for me to think, oh, there's more going on. So that was probably over about, about a year it took to get a diagnosis of what they then thought was Alzheimer's. Mm.
2: And did you have a sense that things were getting worse over a period of time as well? Yes, I did, yes. Mm. And that that became
1: evident with the uh, the amount of things I couldn't do and the, the things that I had to give up doing. Mm. I'd get confused with medications and having a nursing background, that was a bit challenging because I you know knew everything. Mm. And um, now I sort of had to rely on the chemist to know everything and for me to trust somebody else mm. Mm. and for me to also trust my husband and that, that he had to take over doing things. I could no longer really manage money and the budgeting and things which I'd always done.
2: Talking about your husband, what sort of things does he need to do for you now?
1: I wouldn't be able to manage probably without him. He basically does most of the cooking he does a lot in relation to sort of saying, no, that clothing doesn't go with this, goes with that. <laughs> I, and I, because I forget what I've got in the wardrobe. Mm. And he'll say, I think you've worn that three times this week. He, he's very useful, very helpful, very kind. Mm.
2: And as you say, without him, you would struggle to manage to function independently, really.
1: Oh, definitely. And particularly mm. at the moment, because I'm having such terrible evenings, yeah. night times and mm. dreams and, and, uh, well i act out my dreams and you know mm. often thrash that, him around
2: yeah that's something specific to the louis, louis, louis body louis. but would you mind just telling us a bit about how it feels to have that
1: experience initially it was really frightening and the first time i thought oh there's a ghost in the room and then later on i experienced a a big it was multimodal in as much as i could see this black mass forming into a ball and coming towards me and I'm in bed and I'm thinking, you know, that I'm awake, but I don't know whether I was or not, but I could feel it I could feel it and I thought I'm going to take the ball and I squeezed it and it, and I could feel squeezing it and it just dispersed into little vapours and things and, of black everywhere. It yeah. must have
2: been terrifying. Yeah, well,
1: yes, yeah, some of them are. Very frightening, and it, I think I'm very lucky to have Tim because my husband, because he normalises things. So if I I had a dream and I think that something has happened, he'll often wake me up and say, "You're having another one of those," but he'll he'll put me in the in the present. And I'll know it couldn't be, uh, although it really seems real at the time.
2: Yeah. If you were living in a residential aged care facility and that was to happen to you at night, it must be very difficult for those people who live in that environment to be coaxed back into normality, if you like, because it does feel so real. Totally. And I even
1: recall my mother-in-law having these, we thought they were absurd, Ideas about a male member of staff and how she was going to marry him and all these sorts of things. And I think she probably believed that Mm. because she may well have had these dreams during the night. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think I'm just um, fortunate to have the insight to see this, but I would hope that when it happens that I perhaps need looking after that the staff are a little bit more with dementia and care and
0: more understanding. mm, mm. So we might just pause the conversation there, it's so rich and so much has been discussed so far. I guess, Marita, I was really struck by Anne's story. She seemed pretty together with things and it all seemed to happen in a fairly orderly kind of a way. That's not really been my experience when I've been caring for someone in the early stages of dementia. What have you noticed?
3: Yeah, no, I'd agree, Hilton. I think Anne has quite an unusual story um, because she had that incredible insight. And whether that's being younger or whether it's because she was working in the field, so she had good knowledge, she'd had a mother-in-law also with dementia. So I guess, you know, it's about having that um, exposure about it. And I think really interestingly was that she wasn't frightened by the diagnosis. And I'd say most people patients are really fearful of of having a diagnosis of dementia. Her symptoms were distressing, but the actual diagnostic process wasn't. So, yeah, I thought it was a a really interesting but quite unusual story for what we see with, you know, how Alzheimer's dementia would present typically.
0: I guess one of the more typical things was that she expressed early on feelings of anxiety and perhaps a bit of depression when she was no longer able to do what she could do that functional decline that we talk about in dementia and her awareness of that so steph uh, have you noticed that people get anxious in the early stages of a of a journey with dementia
2: yeah anxiety is often a key feature Either somebody might have anxiety that predates the diagnosis or they might just be anxious because they're forgetting lots of things and they're getting disorientated. Or like with Anne, she was struggling with organisation skills and she'd obviously been very capable in her work and suddenly she was confronted by all of these things. And she said several times that she, she felt very anxious and the anxiety was heightening all the time. So I think that's probably one of the things that led her to go and speak to her GP because she was getting quite worried. And that's something we need to be aware of when we see patients patients that anxiety is is something that might need to be treated before you make that diagnosis.
0: Great. Well, let's uh, continue on with the conversation. I'm really keen to hear what happens next.
2: At any point, did anyone discuss with you power of attorney and advanced care directives and who was it and mm. when was it? Mm. Well, I mean, through Dementia Australia,
1: you, we got that all sorted out and knew that that was an appropriate thing to do mm. and that's when we also made our wills and made everything really up to date, brought things up to date and had um, medical power of attorney and things, which of course now is a different, different, different name. name. Mm. And also... Um, we moved we downsized Mm. and i didn't want to downsize we'd moved to this lovely home and and i didn't want to do that but my husband had the foresight to see do it now while i can still figure out you know how to do it and realize then where the spoons are and the knives and forks are in a new environment and that
2: that was a very wise thing to do. Because now you're familiar with that home environment, whereas moving perhaps later would have been more challenging. Oh, it would have been much harder. Initially, you said they thought it was um, Alzheimer's disease. And how long was it before you actually got the diagnosis of the Lewy body? It was probably when I started
1: developing some shaking symptoms and having the nighttime issues. And that may have been... Probably about three or four years into the first diagnosis and because we had such good doctors and the memory centre, you're working with people who know you and who know what they're looking for, who know
2: dementia too. So they were able to pick up the change. and Yes, um, and put it one and one together. And it's kind of important because there are certain medications that you wouldn't want to give to somebody who has Lewy body dementia as opposed to Alzheimer's disease. And so that differentiation between the two diagnoses is important.
1: Yes, and I, I think, you know, I trust my doctors. I don't I look up everything on the, on Google and Doctor think, Google. is it the right thing to yeah. be taking? I now trust them. Yeah. I think, yeah, they know best. Yeah. But it, it is, it's a fine balance. I take as little as I have to, but whatever's going to help.
2: Mm-hmm. I just wondered if you could tell me exactly how long, if you can remember, it was between the symptoms starting and you noticing all these issues that you were struggling at work. And when you went to the GP, how long did you wait before you thought, right, I need to go and speak to somebody about this?
1: I would say it would be probably just a matter of weeks for me. Yeah. Because I had a fair idea that this wasn't normal.
2: No, and that's because you've had previous, you've worked a lot within um, aged care before, hadn't you? And as also being a former nurse.
1: Yes, and I've worked with Alzheimer's Australia too Mm. and run a younger onset dementia group. I mean, the minute that I sort of got the diagnosis, I'm almost on the doorstep saying, now what can I get? What can you do for me? (laughs) What resources can I use?
2: one of the things about it is that once you start becoming aware of the symptoms, sometimes you become even more aware of them. So having that resource to go to to say these are the some of the things you might notice, then family members often pick up extra things that perhaps the patient wasn't aware of. So that's why resources like that are really good to point people to. Exactly. So. And I know, I mean, I had younger onset dementia, but I know in my
1: mother-in-law's case, it was much more difficult because when she went to the doctor her history giving was less than helpful mm. and we just looked like sort of the the nasty children saying but she forgets everything mm. and she mm. thinks she's got ants in the cupboard but she hasn't mm. it just takes a gp who's got time and who ha- who cares mm. and who respects their patients mm. basically
2: mm. and like you said the good thing about the relationship that you had with your GP was the familiarity. You mm. had had a long relationship mm. with your GP and so they were able to pick up that this just wasn't normal for you and that alerted them to the, the fact that it was something more serious. So
1: That's right. And that in itself was a relief mm. to me to get some sort of preliminary diagnosis anyway. So it wasn't just that I wasn't able to manage and cope and do the things to the level of, of that I'd done before.
2: Yeah. Mm. So just going back to the time when you first noticed the symptoms and a few weeks later you went to the GP, when you then went to the GP and sort of discussed it, were you able to reflect back and think, well, maybe actually six months before that, that's when I started losing my keys or that's when I started forgetting the names and that things had been happening a little bit, maybe a few months before, but they were just very the odd one or two things, and then it accelerated. Yes, I think there's some sense in that because I remember that, you know,
1: you'd go to a cupboard and stand in front of it and think, what am I here for? And you just take that for granted. Oh, I had 10 things on my mind and mm. and that was it. But I, there were little things that could easily have been seen. But again, I think we picked it up pretty early in my case, and I know that's not always the case yeah. at all, and I know that, People may just uh, ignore those.
2: And do you ever think about the future and what that that entails, what might be coming?
1: Initially we did and we thought, oh, doom, gloom um, and loss of this and loss of that and we had four young, well, they weren't young but they were teenage boys. But now, no, I don't. I'm very, very blessed to be where I'm at and very pleased to have had the experiences that I've had with dementia and to have such a loving family and husband. And we're very positive Mm. in our way of, of dealing with dementia. And I know that's not the case for everybody, but I think this is why it's so important to have an early diagnosis. Yeah. Because with your early diagnosis, you then have time to have quality time to get used to the issues that might beset you along the way, but also to inform family and relatives about the best way to be managing with you and helping you along the way. It's inevitable. I mean, I could get hit by a bus. Yeah. You know, so why dwell on the negatives?
2: Yeah. yeah. Life isn't permanent, whatever you're doing. No, not at all. So it's important to live in the now. And
1: Yes. Yeah. And we do take every day as a yeah. positive. Yeah. Even the
0: bad ones. There was so much in that. I guess what I was really struck by, Marita, was when Anne said that, in a way, getting the diagnosis of dementia was a relief.
3: Yeah, and I think that's not all that unusual, as fearful as it can be for people and families, I think that there also is a relief that, okay, so I'm not going crazy is one thing. And I think with Anne's story, what really struck out was that she had great supports by way of family and a GP who knew her really well. And the story really demonstrates uh, for her the importance of getting that timely diagnosis and, and her ability to plan for care. know i'm hopeful that being able to share stories like this in the podcast will help us as gps to better understand the lived experience that people living with dementia have and their carers and families and then the more that we can all talk about it the more we can hopefully reduce the stigma and break down some of those barriers to making a diagnosis because we all know making a diagnosis of dementia is actually very tricky. It takes a lot of time uh, and a lot of effort on behalf of not only the GPs but actually the people with dementia and their and their families. And that's something that we're really going to be talking a lot about throughout the course of the podcast.
0: Yeah, and I and I think uh, Anne articulated so well what the benefits of getting that early diagnosis were and enabling them to plan for what was going to come and that's a little bit goes against what we know that some people feel like what's the point of making a diagnosis when there's so-called no treatment whereas in fact there are so many things that can be done to help the person and and their family so Anne's story highlighted that so well the other aspect of the story that I thought was so interesting, Steph, was the way that Anne spoke about her experiences of having those hallucinations. We often hear about the hallucinations but not what it feels like you did a great job in asking her what it felt like what were your thoughts when you heard her speaking about the feelings of having the hallucinations
2: well it was fascinating wasn't it because you don't normally hear that insight or how it feels to experience a hallucination most people who have hallucinations because of other you know schizophrenia or something like that they have very little insight so they can't really describe to you what it feels like. And I think it's just a reminder to us all when we have patients who are disorientated or experiencing something like that, to understand how it must feel to be that person, to really remember that they're just frightened and reassurance is the key and trying to, you know, don't always have to bring them back to reality, although Anne said it was very helpful for her, but just reassuring them not to be so scared about what is happening.
0: And I think the role of her husband, who was familiar in that, was extremely helpful. And it was interesting when you asked her, staff about what it might be like in a residential aged care facility without that familiarity, how, how difficult it would be. Uh, Marita, the other thing that um, I, I thought about was um, the way that Anne did speak about the support from her husband and how important that was. What are your thoughts about the role of carers in this situation?
3: I think the carers are really the make or break for people living with dementia. And I guess one of the other important aspects is that whilst um, Anne's story was a snippet, um, it would be really interesting to see how her husband was managing with all of that as well, because we do know that carer stress is huge and that by addressing carer stress, we can actually you know, delay admission to residential aged care facilities for, for our patients. So carers are a hugely important role, um, often an unpaid role and it's important that we remember to care for the carer.
0: And certainly in an upcoming episode we'll be speaking to a, a carer of a person living with dementia and, and uh, putting more emphasis into the impact that it has on family members. But we're going to wrap up today's episode there. So next time we'll look at a pretty common question that arises from most GPs.
3: That's right, we're gonna learn about the difference between normal aging and dementia. I mean, it's normal to have memory issues as
2: you age, isn't it? Yeah, I think as GPs we're often seeing people who are worried about their memory or the fact that they might be getting dementia and it's trying to differentiate between normal forgetfulness and what is dementia.
0: You'll be able to hear all about that on the next podcast. And in the meantime, if you want more resources, you can go to our website, dta.com.au or follow Dementia Training Australia on Facebook or at Dementia Train AU on Twitter.
3: If you're a person living with dementia, or if you're a family member or carer of someone living with dementia, Dementia Australia has some great resources. The National Dementia Helpline is one 100
2: 500 or you can visit dementia.org.au. Dementia in Practice is an initiative of Dementia Training Australia, which is funded by the Australian Government.